The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm talking with Marina Cancuzino. Marina is an award-winning journalist who in 2003, in response to the imminent invasion of Iraq, embarked on a personal project collecting real stories of people who'd lived through violence or injustice and sought forgiveness rather than revenge. As a result, Marina founded the Forgiveness Project, a United Kingdom-based not-for-profit that uses victim and perpetrator narratives to explore how ideas around forgiveness and reconciliation can be used to impact positively on people's lives. Marina also has a regular blog on the Huffington Post. In 2012, she spoke at the UN before Secretary General Ban Ki-moon about her work, and she's a contributor in the film documentary Beyond Right and Wrong. In 2015, Marina's book, The Forgiveness Project, Stories for a Vengeful Age, was published in the U.S. and U.K., and you can find um, more about it, about the project at theforgivenessproject.com. I also want to welcome Shad Ali and Samantha Lawler, two of the people featured in the book and on the website. You'll be hearing their stories as well. Welcome, Marina, Shad, and Sam. Thank you. Hello. Hi. So, so happy Hello. to have you here with me today. Let's start with you, Marina. Um, the stories yeah. in your book and on the project website really don't represent, in general, the easiest acts to forgive. Um, and you've also included not just people who've been injured, but people who have had a hard time forgiving themselves, um, you know, for, for violent uh, acts that some people might call unforgivable. None of us on this call would. Um, but can you tell us a little more how you came to do the project and also how you came to do it that way, uh, which is so impactful? Um, yes, well, my background's journalism, and I always knew the power of the personal story. Um, and so as around the time of the Iraq War in 2003, when the language of was very much around revenge, tips of tapped and payback. I wanted to collect a different kind of narrative and, you know, make a different conversation, if you like. And I had no idea where it would lead. It was a very personal, private project. But in the course of a year, I collected 26 stories. Um, and my intention in originally was to collect stories from people who'd had this terrible atrocity or violence happened to them and had forgiven the unforgivable. But I soon realized 
that, you know, to think of it in those terms as this destination, you know, forgiveness as this destination where everything was fine again, was grossly oversimplifying it. And that, you know, forgiveness was highly complex, meant many things to many people, was difficult, complicated, painful, um, but was also transformative. It transformed people's pain and suffering. Um, so that's why I came to uh, make an exhibition out of these stories, which is called the F Word, because I saw what a contentious subject it was by then. And that led to starting the Forgiveness Project charity, just really because there was such a huge demand and interest in these stories that I'd created. First-person narrative, strong portraits, very journalistic in form, but it seemed to grab people's attention. I can imagine, and and what you just said connects so much uh, with the person I probably learned the most about forgiveness from, Andrea Levine. I happened to just see her yesterday, and I remember her talking about how Mm -hmm. someone suggested she practice forgiveness on herself, and she did it for two years before she felt it had any any effect, before she believed it at all. Mm. (laughs) So we're often talking about a very long process, yes? Definitely. And I think, well, it takes everybody differently and people approach it in different ways and have different conditions and different limits to forgiveness. I mean, that's the thing that continues to fascinate me, that no one's experience is the same. No one's definition is the same. Um, Mm. It's highly contested territory. Um, And people may forgive from the moment of hurt and pain, that's quite unusual, but it does happen as an innate instinct to heal. Or it may take, as you say, years, decades even. And of course, in in this, you know, the work I do with this show, I've encountered both. Um, I think we can't talk about loss without talking about forgiveness in a way. Uh, you know, yeah, and then, no, I mean, and I think we... definitely forgiveness, in a way, uh, grief and loss is an inherent part of forgiveness, because I, I often think of forgiveness as about loss and about losing control, giving up, for instance, your justified right to retaliate, or giving up, you know, moral indignation, or giving up assumptions that people are going to behave well to you, or just giving up the life that you did know. And, and being able to sort of transform that pain and that loss into something of meaning. I think that's an important ingredient of forgiveness. Absolutely. I'm also so aware that, um, and this may be culturally defined, you know, Western culturally defined, I don't know, um, because I don't know enough about um, other places in the world, but uh, there's a an instant impulse in everyone that that I encounter when there's a loss to uh, look at how it could have been avoided, which naturally leads to blaming someone or something, sometimes ourselves. Um, and yes, so I think that's, that's right. That, I think too many people today, instead of feeling the hurt, are acting out their hurts on others. And that's when you get into this cycle of you know, victim turns into aggressor. And that aggression might be on themselves or on others. Yeah, so in that... In, in a way of coming out of that cycle, if you see what I mean. 
Yes, I do absolutely see what you mean. And in that in that um, way, I want to bring uh, Shad Ali in here a little bit um, as someone who had that apparently from reading your story a kind of um, immediate impulsive um, call towards forgiveness. Can you talk a little bit about what happened uh, with you and and you know what? Um, what that experience was like about, uh, you know, to, to immediately feel I need to forgive. Yeah. I mean, I think my, uh, well, I've been told that my, um, uh, story is a little bit unusual in terms of, um, the, the speed at which, um, how quickly I, I forgave, but I was basically, um, a victim of a very, um, violent, unprovoked, um, attacked attack, which left me, um, requiring a major facial um, reconstructive surgery. Um, and, this I mean, I suppose the severity of the, the attack was so bad that really um, I've always felt that I shouldn't have survived that attack. Um, and I certainly shouldn't have come out of it in, as, as, as good as I, as I did. Um, but what happened was that after the attack, um, what, I, I was in hospital and... Um, the, the trauma uh, of the attack um, was stopping me from, from sleeping um, on the first night in hospital. And I spent the whole night awake, um, partly because of the drugs as well, but also because of the shock and the trauma. But, um, and I spent the whole night thinking about the person that had attacked me. Um, and, um, and at the time, of course, I didn't really have a story um, to tell. There was no reflection. It was just in the moment that I was experiencing all of this. It's only after years and years and years of kind of meeting other people and speaking about what happened to me that I've been able to put together some kind of coherent um, um, reflection on what actually happened. But at the time, um, I knew that I had um, a, a huge need to remain connected to this other human being that was responsible for attacking me. That was the one thing that I knew and that was driving me more than anything else. And um, so I spent the whole night thinking about what kind of space can another human being be in to inflict this level um, of violence onto another human being without any justification, without any kind of reason. And so what happened was that by morning time, um, I'd made a decision to forgive him, and he had not been caught by the police. He'd, he'd actually run away after he attacked me and went on the run for several weeks, for about a month and a half, before the police actually caught him. So I had no idea who he was and um, any details about him. I didn't know his name or anything at all. Um, but I had this something inside of me um, was telling me that I needed to... Um, to, 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 to show some um, understanding towards this human being. Um, and the thing that drove that more than anything else was my need to stay connected to him as a, as a human being. Um, of course, later on mm. in my journey, I began to understand that um, what I see now was that there was a loss, there was a loss of connection um, to, to myself. Um, there was, a, there was a, a feeling of, 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 of loss, feeling lost, um, unsure about everything, and um, and I think for me there was a question about what happens in these moments when you are feeling um, completely unsure about everything, um, even how you're supposed to react in this mm. kind of moment. 
And um, and I think in that moment, there was a desperate search going on for me, a search for answers, solutions, a quick fix, something to make me feel whole again um, after this um, trauma that I'd experienced. Um, and or, or even uh, a, a need to um, respond in a in a in a particular uh, way, and and I think that this is where um, now I'm able to look back and think, well, um, you know, broken hearts have the potential to um, open us to a wider sense of identity, and I think that's what I experienced at that time. Um, and and it's and it's strange, isn't it? That for me, I think this was one of the most profound things that happened um, in terms of my transformation as a human being. It's one of the most positive things that's ever happened to me, bizarrely enough. And uh, so this kind of great gift that was waiting, that was hidden, um, was was hidden in something that I would never have wanted to happen to me, that I would always want to avoid. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that, that's that's my story. Um, I mean, I could continue to talk, Joe, for um, uh, in more detail about it, but um, I don't know whether that uh, answers your kind of question for the time being. Well, it it begins, and of course, we have a full hour to talk. But uh, what I thought of when I read your story um, is about an amazing person I know. Uh, her name is Amakela, and she was. Um, she was dragged by a truck in a hate crime and was fully expected to die and then spent two years recovering. She was supposed to lose her legs. She didn't. Um, and, and she had a very similar experience to what you're describing. She was never, uh, she, she, it wasn't even a matter of having to forgive them. It was that she, she just wasn't angry. <laughs> um, mm. She now does yeah. uh, uh, work with, she, she dropped, she was going to be a physician. She dropped that career and became uh, a musician full time, which had been sort of a hobby before that. Goes all over the world working with refugee kids. She'd be a great person for your project, Marina. But yeah, it, was that, like it. it was that similar immediate no, I'm. I'm not going to add to this terrible occurrence by hating them. And of course, all the therapists coming into her hospital room thought she was just uh, avoiding being angry, but it wasn't that at all. Uh, it's many, many years later, and that has held. So that's what yeah, I, I mean, thought I have, when I read your I story. Exactly, I had exactly the same um, feeling, Cheryl. I, I there was. I never experienced anger, actually. Um, I mean, the anger that I did experience was was certainly not towards um, uh, Glenn, um, the person that attacked me. It was my anger was. Um, I had lots of anger about other things, actually, that, um, that the criminal justice system and the way that I was being treated um, during that process. Um, so there were there were other things that I was angry about, but certainly I had no rec- I have no recollection of ever feeling angry. Um, and, and in fact, actually, once I made that decision very early on to to forgive Glenn, um, I felt an overwhelming sense of um, personal um, peace uh, within my body. And, um, and of course, you know, I mean, one of the things that, of course, always happens with, um, with, with, with these situations with, with grief um, is that you, you often end up having to um, um, support 
people and comfort people um, who are around you. The comforters who are supposed to be comforting you, you end up supporting and comforting them. And, and that's what I found myself doing very, very early on, was that all my family and, and friends who were visiting me, um, I suddenly had this immense... Um, uh, it felt like I'd been elevated to some level um, and I never really understood it at the time but it's only in years to come and, and particularly I think once I'd been introduced to the work of Marina and the Forgiveness Project when I met so many other people who'd had um, conflicts, major conflicts in their life that I was able to understand that this, um, this feeling that I'd experienced um, was probably very much due to the fact that I'd been able to um, find some uh, deep um, healing within myself because of the decision that I've made to forgive them. Absolutely. It's time for our first break. And um, Samantha, I haven't forgotten you over there. When we come <laughs> back in contrast, um, I get the idea from reading your story that you took a, a long process of forgiveness. And I, and I want to share that story with the, with the listeners when we come back. You can find my links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America listeners. And you can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, etc. And to find um, more of the stories of Marina and her um, wonderful, um, the, the wonderful people she's collected the stories of, you can go to theforgivenessproject.com. Be back soon. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Marina Cantacuzino about her project, The Forgiveness Project, and she's brought with her Shad Ali and Samantha Lawler, two of the people featured on her website and in her book, The Forgiveness Project, Stories for a Vengeful Age, and during the break, we were talking about, uh, I had mentioned one of my teachers, 
uh, used to say the only spiritual possible spiritual energy in, injury is the illusion of separation, and and you were saying uh, that you felt you had to uh, shad uh, shadily. You were saying you you felt the only way um, you would not injure yourself was to maintain that connection with the person who had injured you. Um, which I find really remarkable, uh, remarkable way to put that. So I wanted, I wanted the listeners to hear that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to bring Samantha Lawler in here. Sam, <clears throat> can you tell a little bit about your story? Uh, you know, in contrast, a longer uh, road, which is, which is more typical that we take a long mm-hmm. time to forgive and we have to go through many different things. I know I've had that experience myself. So can you talk a little bit mm-hmm. about that for yourself? Yeah. Um, I think, well, for me, it was a uh, very complex because what, um, uh, what happened was my, my father had murdered my mother when I was 18 um, and they were both, um, what I considered my two mentors. Um, and so I was just, uh, devastated and, um, uh, essentially what had happened was my, my mother and me were going to leave, uh, she was going to leave him and, uh, he just honestly didn't know how to react to that. So it was kind of, uh, it was premeditated over a, a maybe a couple months, but it was still like a, a lengthened kind of just, he didn't know what else to do. So that sounded like he was, that that's what he would do. So it was almost like a, a fear-based reaction, but, um, over the course of a, a few months while he was figuring it out. Um, um, but because I had, so I was around 18 and just graduated high school, and I had had a wonderful upbringing from the both of them. From a young age, I had always recognized that they were both extraordinary people. Um, so once that they were both taken away from me in the same instance, uh, my father received life in, in prison without parole, um, and he had he pleaded guilty. Um, they were both gone, and, and so my response to that was, well, it's, it's over, you know, like there's, there's nothing else. I kind of really unplugged from the world. Um, very resigned, kind of had this like shrug my shoulders at, at life's attitude Mm -hmm. for a long time because the two, like the Mecca of, of who I knew myself to be was both gone. So it it really had me reconsider everything. You know, I kind of thought, well, you know, what does it really matter? Look at my mom. She was a wonderful person. And where did it get her? You know, and then we've done all this great stuff and turns out it actually didn't make a difference. You know, so I was very, very uh, cynical and, and resigned. Um, and I probably would have remained that way. I I was very angry with my father for being the the person responsible for this new life that he had impacted of, of uh, not just myself, but my sister and him, his self and, uh, you know, many other people. Um, so I was very angry at him recognizing that he was the one responsible. Um, but I was also just devastated. Uh, you know, I knew my life could get 
possibly better if I got a good job one day and got married and, you know, things would be good, but they would never be great. You know, there would always be this like, mm, that's okay, but my parents are never going to be back. Mm. Um, um, and it, I remained in that state of mind for until 2012, until uh, I I came across a, a personal development workshop, which ha- had me really look inwardly at, at myself and the way I relate to myself and the relationships in my life. Uh, and it was really only in that intense journey that I was taking for myself that I started to make peace with other people in my life. And um, I remember I actually wrote a list one day of, of all the people to contact to in some way kind of take accountability for the things that we didn't have to be best friends anymore, but I wanted to just, I recognized that I played a part in whatever was severed in the relationship. And I remember one day I got through with the list and I was like, Oh my God, this workshop is amazing. <laughs> this, you know, <laughs> the compassion for other people actually works. And, and it had really, really changed my life. Um, and then, but it was about to just change my life for a, uh, another 180 degrees when I realized, Oh my goodness, I haven't spoken to my dad in 13 years mm. and, you know, I'd never before then considered visiting him. I had made, told myself I'm never going to see him again or speak to him again. I don't want to give him the pleasure of ever hearing from me. You know, I was kind of sad that I didn't have my dad too, because I did view him so highly before, but I was just in way too much pain and, and anger to ever, you know, I, I didn't know how to go about that. And so I kind of considered that something of the past that was never going to be fixed. So I didn't even consider ever reconciling with him um, until that day <laughs> after I had mm. made that list. And so then I, I really thought about it for a couple of weeks thinking, well, you know, he's different or I don't know. That's, I don't know what, you know, what am I going to do? Go visit him. And, and, but I had really seen, it makes such a difference everywhere else in my life. Just having, seeing that, that connection that, that you and Chad were, were speaking about um, and recognizing that it was what needed to be done, even though I was still terrified to, to seek him out. Um, so, so yeah, I, it was 13 years that I was essentially in the same, same frame of mind that the night that, that I found my mother, that it was, it was this sense of hopelessness. And I, it, it might not have been that particular workshop, but something else that maybe I could see something else having came into my life that got me going down that, that route mm-hmm. um, that might have elicited a similar response. But, um, but yeah, I wasn't, it didn't look like I was going to stumble across that insight on my own without having taken this this inward journey because I was still what you were speaking of earlier blaming my father I didn't I wasn't looking at myself as okay how can I take responsibility of putting my life back together that didn't occur to me well the other thing that stands out to me in what you're talking about is that um you know, just like in exercise, how you can build up your strength by doing small repetitions. If you mm-hmm. if you tried mm-hmm. to lift 300 pounds, you know, all of a sudden, <laughs> you would really hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of tried it out on these 
these um, other relationships mm-hmm. uh, where you could um, take responsibility yourself and kind of see that part of us that injures maybe or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you could you could sort of try on the ideas without having to confront the pain of what happened with your parents right away. Right, right. Uh-huh. And, yeah, and, and in those smaller journeys, I was seeing uh, the the exercise that I, and the muscle I was building was compassion for myself and other people. So once I saw, once that I did develop that muscle, as you're saying, um, then I realized, you know, well, we're all human beings. So if I'm going to extend compassion towards one person, you know, what's, how is it my father isn't worthy of that same compassion, you know? So that was what, when I really realized that he's a part of the human race, just like everyone else is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other thing that's coming to my mind listening to both of you is just um, this idea that's very, very deep in my own heart and mind uh, about uh, forgiving people, not acts. Mm. Uh, it, it would be crazy to be okay with the act. You know, (laughs) that wouldn't make sense, (laughs) but (laughs) it it is possible to forgive the person who's so lost that they act that way. Right. Perhaps. Mm -hmm. Does that resonate with the two of you? Or with Marina as well, who investigates forgiveness. I'll let you go first, Samantha. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Chad. Um, uh, Yes, absolutely. and actually something that Chad Ali had mentioned earlier about um, imagining what kind of space someone had to be in to do this um, was also once I kind of had my, got my insight to think, oh my goodness, my father is another person capable of screwing up basically. Um, I also then had that similar thought where I asked myself, you know, what, what kind of, fear was he living in and what kind of reality was he living in where murder sounded like the solution to his problem. So, right, I I absolutely was having compassion and forgiveness for him, for the person. And, right, it was like the act that kind of didn't, you know, there's a large scale of small things that we can forgive ourselves and people in our lives for every day. And then there's much larger things. So, right, it's almost like, to me, it kind of didn't matter. It was still the, whether I was going to hold on to hate and anger or not. Mm. And Marina, let me bring you in here um, because you've uh, interviewed so many people who have uh, gone in the direction of forgiveness. I guess I want to say some people who really, who really um, forgive quite um, damaging acts. Some people who just try to, some people who, um, you know, uh, think forgiveness isn't a word that makes sense in their circumstances, you know, all these different experiences of forgiveness. But what, what would you say about maybe any central point you've noticed when people are attempting to come to peace with the things that have happened to them? Yeah, I mean, I was rereading in preparation for this great subject, Uh, one of my favorite books called Unattended Sorrow by Stephen Levine. 
Um, and he talks about grief, he says, calls us to open I was at his memorial yesterday, Marina. Sorry? I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was at his memorial yesterday. Oh, I didn't know he died. He died a few months ago. He was oh, really my he, central teacher in life, actor. so I'm happy to have him come in today. Oh, good. And I, that book, I would recommend it to everybody. And anyway, he says grief, and you could say forgiveness as well, so it calls us to open our heart in hell. And I think the thing that I've noticed, I suppose you asked me what's a single thing, is that people who are able to line themselves up for forgiveness or go in the direction of forgiveness are able, are able to go on this intense journey of looking inward and to, it's about self-discovery, self-awareness, look at the dark parts, the fear, the anger, the shame and the grief and, and sort of deal with that pain and transform that pain because it's quite easy actually to cover that up. And, you know, trauma destroys our sense of security in the world and denial allows us to live um, safely for a while. And anger can be useful, again, for a while, but I think too much anger exhausts me and just as hate corrodes. And in a way, in a, and people are able to forgive, are able to break out of this and mm. find the gift in the wound, if you like. And I think... That you could describe that as meaning making, you know, finding a purpose sure. again, finding a new life. Sometimes people talk about life one and life two. So you've lost life one, you grieve life one, but you create something entirely new and powerful and positive from from that transformation and from that loss. And there's been some really interesting research into meaning making um, with people with complicated, what's called complicated bereavements, which is traumatic bereavements, just like Sam's. And the people who are able to cope best with it, and in some cases who have right. gone in that direction of forgiving, have been able to make meaning out of the trauma. And that doesn't mean making sense out of it, because violence is senseless, but it means pursuing activities that you're passionate about, and that puts meaning back into your life. And that is the key thing I've seen. All the storytellers, and there have been like 150 of them, have a passion for doing something else in the world. And that puts meaning back into their life. Of course, you just pretty much described every guest I've ever had on this show, <laughs> for instance. <laughs> yeah. that, that every single person has... It's not just that they had some kind of catastrophic or intense loss, but that they actually grieved it and were willing to uh, have all of the experiences that were there uh, as a result and to, out of that, create something um, quite different. Um, so this is mm -hmm. very familiar idea that you're talking about in my world that, and for, yes, obvi obviously for my own experience, you know, of, of loss, that that is at the heart of it. And I, I'm very, um, captivated by, uh, the idea that that is also where forgiveness comes from, mm -hmm. kind of reforming ourselves out of our, 
experiences. That really resonates for me. We're, it's time for our second break, and when we get back, we'll we'll continue with that conversation. Listeners, you can go find me at my website, weatheringgrief.com, and you can find uh, Marina Cantacuzino and uh, all of her all of the amazing stories she's collected at theforgivenessproject.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Marina Cantacuzino, Shad Ali, and Samantha Lowler to talk about Marina's work in The Forgiveness Project and stories featured in her book, The Forgiveness Project, Stories for a Vengeful Age. Um, and and before the break, we were, we were talking about, uh, together about this quality of allowing ourselves to... to uh, go towards uh, the experience. The way Stephen Levine would say that is, um, let your heart break, the sooner the better. Um, and that refers to something you said, Shad, uh, Shad about um, you, your heart can break open, <laughs> um, which, which is so beautiful. Um, and, and the fact that forg- forgiveness sort of comes out of that place where our hearts are broken open to the, the pain of living, I guess, um, and, and our own connection with other sufferers, other people who may act badly out of, out of um, a broken place. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, for me, it took me a long time to realize you know, grief, loss, um, these things are, are just part and parcel of, of, of my life. And um, uh, and I need to find a way of embracing them and rather than, um, you know, trying to hide from them. And, uh, I mean, Carl Jung describes, um, uh, I, I think, grief, grief and loss and, and death, a lot of these 
um, things have been kind of relegated to what Carl Jung would describe as the shadow. Mm. And, um, and, and, I, and I think for me, my understanding of this is that when we, uh, when we, whatever we put into the shadow becomes more primitive as it um, regresses. And I think that bringing grief and loss and death out of the shadow, it's, uh, it, it, I, I began to see it from my experience as a spiritual responsibility, it's a sacred duty, in fact. And, and by doing so, I think what happens is that maybe we, we're able to feel our desire for life, once again, and remember who we are and where we belong and, and what is sacred. And, and, and certainly that's been the case for me because um, before this incident happened, before my attack and before my um, real understanding of, of forgiveness, um, I hadn't really experienced these words that, I was, that I'd read so many times, but I didn't really understand them at a deeper level. Um, empathy, compassion, forgiveness, love softness, big hearts, openness, all of these words, they were just words to me, really. Mm, and and yes. I think it was through this really painful and difficult um, um, experience that I had that I began to really find a meaning um, for all of these words. And um, um, I read a sentence the other day um, in a book um, that I, I felt that it kind of um, uh, it was describing me uh, and many other people who've the stories that I've read on the Forgiveness Project website, and it was um, soul activist in a soul-devouring culture. And I, th- and I feel sometimes I feel that that's what I've, I've become as a result of this um, attack mm-hmm. and, and everything that happened after it, is a soul activist trying to um, nourish my soul with things that are really important that will allow me to stay connected to myself and stay connected to other human beings, regardless of what they put in front of me and regardless of what they throw in front of me, positive or negative. I love that. I'm I'm going to um, join that club of soul <laughs> activists. <laughs> and what I've what I've noticed is that uh, if someone, um, let's say, um, I I'll I'll bring up a friend of mine. He's he's a soul activist. He uh, is uh, very interested in class differences. He's he was a professor mm-hmm. in it. He's retired now. And he also lost two wives to cancer. So huge heart. And when he talks about his political viewpoint, it's with his huge heart. And it really, and it's so open that people hear him in a way that you might not if he was, you know, just making a speech. Uh, he really, really changes people's hearts and minds about class difference because of his big open heart. Um, so he, he just popped right into my head when you said soul <laughs> activist because he is a political activist in the classic sense and he has so much more influence because it, do, it is not coming from uh, an anger place. It's, it's and, coming and, and from I, a I love place. what you're place. describing, Cheryl, is something that I've come across more and more in recent years, which is something called compassionate um, activism, um, which um, is very different to the kind of activism that maybe many, years of, many of us have been used to. Um, yeah. And certainly I, I remember when I was growing up and I got involved in politics and was um, playing my, doing my bit in, in, in activism, I was quite an angry young man at many, many, many things that were going on in the world. And, um, and I think um, what I've seen certainly in the last 
um, since my journey into this world of forgiveness, um, is that actually there is um, a, a form of compassionate activism as well, which, um, which is of course, it's much softer, and and, and people are able to respond um, in a in a completely different way. So, um, so I hear I hear what you're saying. I acknowledge um, what you're saying there. Yeah, I can think of many, many, many examples. Uh, even the young people in my family. Um, remind me of myself as a young person um, being so filled with rage about what's wrong um, and it doesn't it, it doesn't it, it's good to recognize what's the matter but it doesn't do as much to change it I've come to think mm-hmm. <laughs> do, do mm-hmm. Marina and uh, Samantha do you have any thoughts on that as well Um, well, ahead, I was just thinking about um, what we're talking about, you know, talking about forgiveness in terms of it being something Samantha actually said to me when I interviewed her, because she talked about feeling a sort of degree of empathy and compassion from her, for her father and that leading to forgiveness. But she also, she said to me something very profound that I often quote, um, and she said, forgiveness is not about forgiving the act. But, but, but forgiving the imperfections which are inherent in all of us. Mm-hmm. And I think why I really thought that was important is because it seems to me this sort of sense of connection is so important um, when we're going on this sort of journey because it's about recognizing that we are all capable of hurting others, basically, maybe to lesser or greater degrees. But I think when we sort of silo people off and condemn them, and I'm right and you're wrong, and it's black and white thinking, I think that's when life gets really, really um, aggressive and difficult. And I think mm-hmm. what I really like about um, so many of the stories that I've been able to share and tell is indeed this not only a, a sort of compassionate heart, but this this um, this sort of sense that you know evil isn't separate from us, and it's a difficult, mm-hmm. very very difficult concept to take on board. I think, and a lot of people just can't get that. But but I really resonate with what you're saying. As I was preparing for today, of course, I thought of the thing that was hardest for me to forgive in my own life. Um, The hardest thing that ever happened to me was not my wife dying, (laughs) which stuns some people when I say it. But it was um, uh, being cut off from one of my children by her other mother for almost a decade. Uh, that was definitely because if you add betrayal, you know, to loss, uh, it's almost unimaginable. But what I realized after years of working with forgiveness was that uh, one of the injuries in that was was the having to confront the rage in myself, how much I wanted her to hurt. Uh, it was really not. Yeah. It was not what I wanted to see about myself, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and so eventually I had to just find compassion for that, that, um, that I, I couldn't make myself forgive her until it was ready to happen. 
And uh, I, I think that uh, many people in your in your book describe similar things. You have to find a softness for yourself too, if you don't have that immediate impulse towards forgiveness. And of course, that was ongoingly affecting me um, very yeah. much to be cut off. But I recently saw her, and and she didn't look well at all. And uh, there was no place of anger. It was just. Um, uh, I remembered that I had loved her and mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. suffered for her to be in such a bad way. Uh, but I, I wouldn't have maybe run across that feeling in myself if I hadn't if I hadn't seen her. But yeah, so I think what can also happen with these repressed sort of revenge fantasies. You begin to see yourself as becoming like the person who's hurt you. Um and, and I think that can shock people out of the, you know, out of these feelings of of wanting to harm, um, take retaliation and things. But it, it sounds like it took a long time for you, Cheryl. Is that right? No, I would say I forgave her a long time ago. But the fact that I could make connection with having loved her so much was oh. recent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and it it uh, made me. Uh, you know, you said in your book uh, something like uh, forgiveness is as mysterious as love. Yes, that's uh, right. And and um, for me, that that epitomizes that it was it was mysterious to love this person, and it was mysterious to hate them, and it was mysterious to forgive them. <laughs> All of it was had a mystery in it. <laughs> So I want to circle back around to Sam in this, in this, um, you just came so much into my mind in the sense that uh, you were talking about how much you trusted your parents, and then this mm-hmm. thing went so terribly wrong between them. Um, I'm, I think it came to my mind because it was a, um, that your loss happened within a, um, a relationship, a family Mm-hmm. Um, then is it, uh, how is it for you now to kind of trust relationship, trust other people? Did forgiveness help with that? Um, uh, yeah, it, it absolutely did. Um, that whole hiatus I was on though, for, for those uh, about 13 years, I didn't, I think it was even deeper than me not trusting people. I kind of just didn't care. I didn't see the, uh, there was no motivation in it. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I was just, uh, you know how some people talk about, you, you know, if you're not happy yourself, you're not going to find happiness with with anyone else. So really all of my relationships, whether they were intimate or, or friendships, they weren't working mainly just because I, not that I couldn't trust them, but because I was unhappy with myself. So therefore I was just no outside external force could, could give me that. Um, um, but right. It, it was kind of um, the, um, kind of, actually there's a wonderful man, father, Greg Boyle, who um, is a, a, a priest in Los Angeles who opened up um, 
uh, organization called Homeboy Industries, and it's the lar- largest gang intervention in the world. And essentially, all he does is he built a, a company where people can uh, a t-shirt printing company and bakery where people can come in from off the streets and work, but they have this this um, very nurturing and loving community. And so he gives them what they were, are looking for on the street, a sense of belonging and, uh, and, and a job. <laughs> um, and so he talks about pe- seeing people at their, their potential and their core and that really right. it's not so much um, um, having to, he talks about whatever is in your way. It's a matter of just dismantling all these untruths, basically. Um, so the the journey that I went through to myself to kind of peel back all these layers of meaning making that I put on myself and put on the world around me of, oh, if someone does this, that means they're this, or, you know, if, if yes. this, hap- this plus this equals that, and just realizing that that's all, I can't say that for sure, you know, that's just what I'm thinking, or just that's just the meaning I'm, I'm assigning something that doesn't make it true. And also, it's just limiting. It's, it's you know, if I think I have the world figured out. That's kind of a person. great place for us to leave it today, isn't it? <laughs> we don't, we don't have it all figured out, but we're all yeah. uh, trying to keep our hearts open. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm, yes. So that in itself blew everything open for me, I, you know, ever, yeah, ever yeah, since yeah. then. Um, I, I, I really want to thank you all for being here today. I could talk with each of you for another several hours. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Next week, I'll be featuring the work being done by Open IDEO. They're running a campaign about end of life, uh, an international campaign to generate ideas about how to improve both the conversation and strategies for end of life. And they'll be on the show to talk more about that. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.